Good evening. We're going to get started with our class in just a moment. We'll be continuing our study out of Colossians, so if you have your Bibles, you can get those out and start turning there. Give just a little bit longer for everybody to finish trickling in here. I saw, I think I saw cars still pulling in a second ago, but... Um, But we'll be in Colossians. I've asked Mr. Jim Ator if he would open us up in a word of prayer before we get started. So last week, we only got through a couple verses, uh, but we were talking about what it means to rejoice in sufferings. And so uh, tonight, we're going to cover from about verse 26 of chapter 1. And uh, you'll, you'll notice that even though there's a chapter break at chapter 2, verse 1, he really continues with the same thought on down to verse 3. So we're going we're to try and cover from around verse 26 to verse 3 tonight and his kind of that complete unit of thought. We might keep going, but I bet that's about as far as we get. Um, so last week, we just, just to briefly recap, we talked about, like I said, how he welcomes suffering for the sake of the church. And that was kind of the bulk of our conversation. And we looked at this phrase, the stewardship of God, and what it means for Paul to serve as a minister uh, under to please God and not man. And uh, another major point was the fulfillment of the Word, that we live out the Word through faithfulness and through obedience. And, uh, and in verse 26, where he uses this phrase, the mystery of God that was now hit, that was hidden and now revealed, uh, we talked about how that means Christ and His teaching. And we looked at like Matthew 13, where, he, where Jesus speaks about, talks about why He speaks in, in parables and in mysteries, and uh, it kind of helped us understand what Paul means in Colossians 1.26. So uh, before we get started, I'm going to have somebody read for us, we'll say from verse 27 to verse 29. Go ahead and read uh, 29 as well. So, to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Um, just a kind of historical note on why he would say to the Gentiles or also to the nations 
which would be literally what that phrase means there. Um, by the latter part of his ministry, uh, kind of near the middle and the end of his life, Paul really understood his role as uh, some call the disciple to the, or the apostle to the Gentiles. And this is kind of reflected in Acts. If we looked at Acts from Acts 12 to about 20, it talks about how he, how he kind of ended up finding himself going to those crowds, whereas I think Peter is traditionally thought of as the, the apostle to the Jews. Paul mainly went to Gentiles, and that's why he, but that's why it really carried him uh, into many of the Greek and Roman communities, even going so far as Spain, and really spreading the gospel outside of kind of the traditional Jewish holy lands of Judea and Samaria. And he says, "...in him we preach." So we see really similar uh, language here as to another part of Colossians. If someone wants to flip over and read Colossians 3.16 for us, if someone could read Colossians 3, verse 16. Thank you. So we, we talk about that a lot, especially as it pertains to worship, and I'm sure we've heard this verse quoted a number of times. But he uses really similar phrasing there, teaching and admonishing one another. And we, we see kind of the same thing in uh, 2 Timothy 4.2. Um, this is to kind of highlight that phrase. Teach, it's, it's not really just a stock phrase, but what it really means is sort of positively and uh, negatively. And by, I don't necessarily just mean good and bad, but, you know, do these things, but also do not do these things. Um, if we looked at Christianity, if we looked at Jesus' ministry, it was often in the positive sense of where he really emphasized what we should do, uh, what our actions should be like. Uh, but we also know Jesus had no problem saying, do not. Um, so there were certainly things that were forbidden, but we'll see the bulk of Scripture, is, especially as it relates to Jesus' teaching, Jesus' ministry, and Paul's comments on that. They really emphasize what we should do um, and, and really how we should live. So we would consider those kind of positive in this other word, uh, admonishing, that's really the, the the warnings against things we should do, the corrective behavior. Um, and he says, I labor striving according to the work of God in me, is kind of one way to, to, to read that last end in verse 29, that he, he works according to the power of God. Someone go ahead and read for us. I mentioned this. Someone go ahead and read for us 2 Timothy 4.2. So you see a lot of the same language Paul uses there is right here in verses uh, in verse 28 and 29. And that idea of warning, teaching, uh, preaching, all these different verbs that we would use to talk about what his work is, what he does. And, and something we'll see if we look at their ministry is that the apostles believed very, very strongly in the teaching of the word as a conversion tool. And what do I mean by that? Well, they, that when you sit down and you talk to somebody, if you want to get somebody to become a Christian, if you want to get somebody to obey the gospel, sit down and study the gospel. Sit down and study the word. And the idea being that it, almost that it does not need somebody arguing on its behalf, but the idea that if you can get somebody to sit down and understand the word, it, they are going to be moved into what is the, the right thing to do. And I don't want to say this is a blanket statement because I know this is not always the case, but this is something that I have found um, if you're trying to argue and reason with somebody, especially if they already have their mind made up about what they believe, um, especially with regards to certain doctrine-specific teachings, uh, they're going to get defensive. You're going to get pushback. You're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Uh, but sometimes 
if you can sit down and just kind of have a one-on-one Bible study with somebody about something, um, you will be surprised where the word will lead them. And I don't necessarily mean that in a divine miraculous sense, but, but we do understand that it is the spirit that helps us understand. It is the spirit that helps us learn uh, what the word means, that gives us understanding, I think is the exact phrasing used sometimes. Um, but, you know, it, it's, I would almost say that it doesn't need, necessarily need to be, uh, you know, lawyered with, debated with. If, if you get into those kind of exchanges with somebody, you're less likely to really stir their heart than if you say, hey, let's just sit down and let's look at uh, Matthew 6. Let's look at Matthew 9. Let's look at Acts 2. Let's look at Acts 6. And, and let them come to the conclusions based on a reading of the word. And if we look at the apostles, what they wrote in their letters, and we also go over Acts, and we look at how they went from town to town, we'll see that, that, they, that by and large, they let the word speak for itself. As, as I've heard some people say before, you know, the Bible is its best interpreter. Um, someone read for us Romans ten seventeen, please. I know the last couple of weeks we've been moving a little slowly, so I'm trying to kind of make up some ground here, move a little quicker. Simple enough, right? How do you build someone's faith here? Teach them the word. And how does that come from? That comes from the word of Christ. Um, another one, another one I really, really like is regarding this topic is John 20, 30, and 31. This is, one of the, this is one of those alongside Roman 10, 17 that I would bookmark or underline if you haven't already. Uh, John 20, 30, and 31. I believe that's the very end of the book of John, is it not? Yeah, it's one of my, I mean, I think it's Matthew and Luke that kind of have sort of the ascension uh, accounts. But I love the way that John ends his, where he just says, look, you know, he did many, many other things that are not written in this book. This is not an exhaustive account, but these are written so that you may believe. Um, If you ever have any question as to why they did what they did or why they uh, took the approach that they did, it says, these were written so that you may believe, and believing have life. Does it say in his name? Is that what it is? Verse 31? Okay. If I'm going to quote it, I hope I'm quoting it correctly. <laughs> um, so, God willed to make known riches of glory the mystery among the Gentiles. And he says, it is Christ we preach, that we warn and we exhort and we teach. And, and he even throws at the end of verse 28 this idea um, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Um, I wouldn't get bogged down in the word perfect there. Uh, I, on that, I would kind of prefer other translations, idea of present every man complete or mature. Uh, the word used there is not necessarily one that means without blemish or just without any sort of flaw, uh, but the idea of maturing in our faith, growing in our faith. That there's a, There is an end goal in mind. And I think that's something to kind of really important to consider, especially when we talk about, you know, I, I hear all the time, it's uh, exhort, uh, preach, exhort, reprove, some of these different words that we, we know from Timothy and from some of those verses we read on how we should teach, teaching and admonishing. Um, but he, he includes in here that he does all this for 
a reason. He acknowledges that his ministry, his service has a purpose. And so in all that we do, both kind of individually as Christians, but also especially that that we take on kind of as the Dover Church of Christ, should be done with this question in mind of what is our purpose in ministry? What is our purpose? What is the end goal of all this that we do? And uh, according to Paul in verse 28, it's that we may preach, warn, teach every man, and present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Um, been, been on a roll, so I guess I'll pause and see if we've had any comments or thoughts, questions so far. Yeah, and, and that's a good point, that there is, there is time for uh, exhorting and there's time for admonishing. <laughs> there's time for building up and there's time for correcting. And if you are, uh, and this is, that's a great point because it goes kind of right with what I was saying about having a purpose. You know, if, if your purpose is to let that person know that you think what they're doing is wrong according to Scripture, I'm sure you can very easily convey that. Right, it's, it's really easy to sit there and make sure that person leaves that conversation knowing that what they did was wrong and you know it was wrong and you can tell them how wrong they were. If your goal is to get that person into a saved status and a saved state with God and with Christ, I don't know if I would start with that. <laughs> now, I'm not saying there's no room for that. I'm not saying there's never a time for that because there absolutely is. And, you know, when we talk about the body and those of us who are already a part of the body of God who already kind of know what we should be doing, uh, absolutely we should be uh, correcting one another when that applies. But if we're trying to bring somebody in, um, yeah, start with the common ground. Start with, I, I always tell people, if you don't know where to start, start with the Gospels. You know, pick one, pick one you like, pick one you can understand. Mark is the shortest, if you're averse to reading. <laughs> um, pick one you know and you understand and stick to that. Um, I, think it's, I think it's the line from Remember the Titans where Denzel Washington says, we have six plays on offense. And his idea was, we learned six plays, we're going to learn these like the back of our hand, and we're going to know it well. If you're doing a study with somebody, I would encourage you to learn like five or six passages that you know real well, that you understand real well, that you feel like communicate the message of the gospel really well, and kind of work from there. You know, don't, uh, don't try to eat the whole elephant at once. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Hundred percent agree. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, that's really what, you know, if, if you read these few verses from Paul, he doesn't go two lines without saying, in Christ, in Christ, in the Lord, in our Father, in God. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, I guess that's 
just really good advice on kind of the warning and teaching and handling that as far as that goes. Um, I already kind of mentioned this about to this end I labor, I labor, but I really think that's something that we, when we examine ourselves, you know, when we look at, like, and I mean literally like us as the church, not necessarily just Christians, the universal, but like us as a congregation, you know, what are we teaching in our Bible classes? Why are we teaching that? Why are we teaching it this way? Why are we uh, doing the certain activities we do? Why do we do things in the community? Or maybe why are we not doing things in the community? Um, all of that should be done kind of with this this end in mind that Paul calls it, that the, the building up of, of those who are within the body and the spreading of the word of God to those who are outside the body, to you know preach the gospel and present ourselves perfect, as verse 28 says. So both evangelism and spiritual growth. That's interesting. Yeah, that may, that would make sense. Um, looking at kind of what I'm looking at here too, the laboring and striving, um, not just busying ourselves, but working to the point of feeling it a little bit, maybe. <laughs> um, I don't know how too specific I want to drill down on this, but. You know, when we, there's other ways you can give besides a check in the plate. And we talk about spending time in church. When we talk about putting effort into some ministry or activities that the church is doing, um, when we talk about making sacrifices, you know, maybe let's talk about those ideas being kind of coming together in the sense of I heard people, you know, there's, I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with somebody that said they had something going on Sunday morning. It's like, oh, we went there, we had to. I had a guy tell me he had to, he was selling a cow Sunday morning. I was like, dude, you got six days of the week. You can't, like, I don't know math very well off the top of my head. What's seven times 24? You got 150 hours in the week, and you got to pick, like, the two that we want to be in the building? Like, that cow's going to be there tomorrow, you know? So when we talk about the idea of sacrifice, like, one of the easiest sacrifices to make is saying, this is how I'm going to spend my time, and it's not going to be doing other things. And when we use the word sacrifice, when we use words like Van mentioned, laboring to the point of fatigue, that should imply that hard decisions will be made. And that's okay. And not only is that okay, that's expected, commanded really from Scripture. So um, feel it a little bit, I guess. Work to the point of feeling it is maybe how I would say it. Um, Thanks for pointing that out. Well, we're going to keep reading because as I mentioned, you'll notice... Uh, chapter 2 starts with for, or for this reason, or you know, because of what he is saying, and he goes on to make his point. So I want, if someone could go ahead and read uh, verse 1 through 3 of chapter 2. So, I'm not going to be so bold as to say I'm going to start my own uh, breakdown of the Bible. But if I was, if I could move the chapter heading to two, I'd probably move it down a few verses because he's he, this actually 
don't view these as different ideas because he's really building on what he just said. Um, he's talking about how he preaches and how he warns and we should teach and we should present every man perfect. And he says, this is why I'm working so hard among you. And he even adds, and we didn't really talk about this, but he, he really says, uh, according to God who works in me, really according to God's power. And then he goes on to say, for, for this reason, because of this, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. And he goes on to say, so he's basically saying for all you who are there, for those of you I've met, for those of you I haven't met, for the ones I know, for the ones I don't know, I am really struggling on your behalf. I'm working on your behalf. He's struggling. He's not, this is important because he's not just saying that he struggles for the gospel or, or faith as sort of some like, high-level abstract concept, but he says, no, I do this for you, for, for, for you, the Christians in this congregation, for those who are listening, who are reading this letter, for the individuals in the church. We talked a couple weeks ago, and we looked at verse 23, where Paul calls himself a minister, and he, he really, the literal word is a servant. Those of us who serve in roles in the church uh, should do so for the benefit of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and this is probably one of those things we'll talk about uh, when we talk about church governance again next month. One of our Sunday nights, we're going to be doing that. Um, you know, you don't serve to hold a. And this is this goes so far outside of that. So I guess don't let me limit myself just to elders and deacons and ministers. But when we do anything in the church, it's not because it. You know, we want the title, or we want credit, or we want to somehow make ourselves feel good or look good by what we're doing. But he says, really, it's because we want uh, the congregation to succeed. We want people to be built up. We want the work of the church to, to be as successful as possible. In uh, this, the, the wording Paul uses in chapter 2, verse 2, is he talks about being encouraged, uh, being knit together in love, uh, attaining the full assurance and understanding. And he uses that same phrase we've been talking about before, the, the knowledge of the mystery of God. And even says, in whom are hidden all knowledge. But what he's really saying is, is kind of very similar to the ending of verse 28, being presented perfect in Christ. He's saying, I do this so that you may be encouraged, so that you can grow together, so that you can have a fuller understanding of the word of God. Um, he, he, he does this for the sake of the church. I don't, I don't know if any of you have ever been in any sort of uh, relationship type I don't want to say marriage counseling because I've heard this more in just kind of almost dating relationships. But they say if you're if um, you are with somebody and you are growing closer to God and they are growing closer to God, you will grow closer together. If anyone's seen that little it's a little triangle illustration, um, it's a very common feature of high school Bible studies in my experience. But um, the the original idea is that you know if you are seeking God and they are seeking God, you will naturally grow closer to that person. Well, outside the context of necessarily, uh, you know, that sort of level of intimacy in a relationship, that should also be true for the church. Like, if all of us are individually growing spiritually, if we are learning more, if we are understanding God better, if we are maturing as Christians, that ought to naturally result in us growing together. This, this, this phrase that he uses in verse 2, being knit together in love, is actually really interesting. It's, it, it almost has the implication of like points in a, in, a, in a paper or an argument being pulled together to a conclusion. Uh, different sort of coming from a bunch of different directions and kind of being pulled together to one, joined together, knit together. Um, 
there's almost an illustration just in the idea of knitting together that you're you're taking things that are necessarily separate. You know, we, we of course each have our own faith, we have our own struggles, we have our own things we bring to the table. But as we grow closer to God, we should naturally uh, grow closer to one another. So, you know, something to think about, I guess, I would say. Any other thoughts or comments so far? I have a few discussion kind of questions because I do want us to take a couple minutes and discuss some of this stuff here. Based on really the, the whole chapter up to this point, because uh, we've been, we've, I know we've been going through this for a few weeks, but as we study the Word, I don't want us to forget what we've uh, read in the earlier part of the letter because something we talked about at the very beginning was I, I really want us to study this as one letter. Um, I, I always am sometimes hesitant to use too many scriptures that are just the one chapter, one like the one verse just kind of randomly out of context. Uh, because we, ultimately this was, you know, he sat down and he, he wrote this whole thing out and he kind of edited it and he strained over it and he really wanted to make sure it was all kind of one good lesson. So if we're studying, you know, in a few weeks when we get to like Colossians 3, I want us to remember what we talked about in Colossians 1 and 2 because this, this stuff will all build together. And as we study the letter as one unit You'll kind of see what I'm talking about, how these blocks sort of build on one another. Uh, so I have some questions just based on the whole of the letter so far. Um, verse 27 uses this expression, uh, the riches of the glory or the, the, and the hope of glory. And if, if you want, you could look all the way back at Colossians 1, 3 through 8. But how does our faith give us hope of glory? What is he talking about when he, when he uses he throws this around this the riches of the glory or the hope of the glory? How can our faith result in hope? I heard somebody. Eternal life. Eternal life. Yeah, that's the that's the number. I mean, if we were playing Family Feud, that ought to be the number one answer on the board, right? Like that would be the first thing we all talked about. Man, if you don't have that hope on your heart and on your mind, like all the time. Uh, do so, <laughs> you know. Um, it, I, I know it can be odd if you're younger. You don't want to be just thinking about death all the time, but we all ought to have a hope of where we are going. Um, so certainly, if nothing else, at least in the next life, that should give us hope. Yes, absolutely. What else? It's sort of like sitting, stand up for Jesus all sitting down. Um, yeah, you make a good point. And I, that's, it took me, I thought for sure there's going to be a late for supper joke at the end, the way you were starting that. But just don't call me late. But uh, yeah, never want to be a part of a group that doesn't believe they're going to heaven. So yeah, if someone asks you, do you believe you're going to heaven? And you say yes, and you're like, well, you mind acting like it? <laughs> you know? Um, and, and I know this, this might feel like it stands in contrast to what we talked last week in terms of rejoicing and suffering and, and, and acknowledging that life will be hard. But I, I really think it kind of 
flows right in that same vein. That's why Paul's talking about the hope of glory. Um, that, that should almost like be this infinite source of happiness just deep down from the word that we get, you know, and that, you know, we'll get down, we'll get thirsty, we'll get hungry, but we should always be able to go back to that and know that we, we have that assurance. Yeah, I can't, can't tell you how many uh, congregations I've been a part of where the, the, the song was something really, really joyful, and all of us sounded about like this the whole time. It was like, so we're all lying. Okay, got it. <laughs> Either way more of us are biologically mute than I was aware, or we're all lying. Neat. Absolutely. I don't, uh, I believe it is, yeah, I think we'll get to this when he talks about walking in Christ in verse, here down on a few verses. But I think of First uh, John 1, 6 and 7, you know, that if, if, if we are walking the light as he is in the light, we are not in darkness. Absolutely. Um, I got a couple more, so I'll move on to the next one. Um, what does it mean to you personally to be reconciled with Christ? Um, being reconciled with Christ is kind of the major theme from verse 19 all the way down to verse 23. And so what is, what is that word or that expression or that concept, being reconciled to Christ? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we don't have to carry the guilt of our past, you know, if, if we are reconciled in Christ. Oh, absolutely. It does. In say that again. Yeah, my grace is sufficient for you. That's true. Yes, he he did, and th- that's why I was kind of thinking of how I wanted because you're right, and I think that's a very natural human tendency. But I would almost say if I was talking to somebody in like a almost a counseling setting and they and say that was just something they said, man, I'm just really struggling with my past. I wouldn't really want to study with that person because I, you know, that's that's almost a part of us that needs to mature. Then, and I don't necessarily mean that in a negative sense, but like then let's have some talk about the confidence and the positive side. Then maybe I've probably been doing too much of the admonishing and the warning over the last few weeks. You know, if if if. Absolutely teach against sin, but man, don't make someone carry it around. If they're saved and they're moving on from it, like Wilton said, if they've repented of it and they're moving on, don't make them, you know, don't make them carry the old rags around. Um, let's go look at the verses that, as uh, Brother Howell mentioned, about being free, about the ones that are about letting go and being forgiven. Absolutely.
But that's, I wrote that down as one of the first things when I was thinking about this. Is that's, I think that's a big thing in some way or another that people deal with is the guilt of, of that. Any other thoughts on what it means to be reconciled in Christ? Okay. I got, uh, got one more. And this is kind of based on the section we were just looking at. We talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. But what does verse 24 through 29 really tell us about ministry or even ministering uh, in the church, in the congregation? How does that sort of define or shed light on what ministry should, should look like or what it can be? Yeah, yeah. If, if I am serving in Christ the way Paul talks about his service to Christ, uh, it, it goes back to what Van mentioned—that idea of laboring to the point of fatigue—and or as uh, it says in the NKJV, you know, striving according to his working. That you know, that means breaking a sweat a little bit for now and then is okay. <laughs> it means that, that that might happen. Um, but it's if we also look back at that section, he just talks about how it's. Under the stewardship, and this really flows in right with what you were saying. It's it's under the stewardship of God. Remember, we talked about that phrase either last week or a couple weeks ago, uh, and so that's why Paul talks about that he works to please God, not man. He used that same phrase in Galatians one seven and eight, um, and it doing that, serving God in that capacity, fulfills the word of God. <laughs> if we looked at all the way back at verse twenty five, he talks about that. That is, you know, that is to fulfill the word of God. All of those things we've been talking about. So, and then as we kind of look in the middle of his points here, kind of around um, looking back at verse twenty-four and, and twenty-eight and twenty-nine, and even verse one of the chapter, what are ways that we contend for our faith, or that we struggle for uh, for the sake of the church? You know, I, I know Paul was shipwrecked and he was exiled and tarred and feathered and all these crazy things. But we think about our, our largely comfortable, you know, but, but pretty good, kind of blessed in that sense life. I know we don't face serious external persecution. And I guess you, you kind of answered this a little bit with your question, but I want to dive more into it. What are some of the ways we might say we, we struggle or even suffer, if we can use that word loosely, or contend for the faith or for the church? Effectively evangelizing. Like, because taking up family members or friends who call themselves Christians, or who believe some of the same things you do, but not entirely biblical, like, mm-hmm. I feel like within our comfort of society, like that, I feel like it's something that we really need to not Yeah, you bring up a really good point. That's the you know, we, we read about the persecution in like the Gospels or in Acts that was like being scourged and being threatened to be headed and thrown in jail. And like a lot of times 
I'm afraid to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone who I like, <laughs> who's a loved one or who's a friend. And it's like, I don't want to, you know, you read the stories of guys being chased out of town and beaten and whipped for the sake of the gospel, and I don't want to be a little bit uncomfortable. And going back to how we very started, yes, we'll acknowledge that don't have a conversation that will negatively impact that person's salvation. You know, don't be that person who's going to make them think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm never going to go to that Church of Christ place over there because I know how that person talks to me, you know. But not every teaching or study has to be that admonishing, that negative teachings. A lot of it can be the positive, uplifting stuff. And you make a good point. That means in the sake of striving, we talked about time in our schedules. You talked about, you know, having prior commitments versus social engagements. Maybe some of that striving and laboring can come and just have that, have that uncomfortable conversation with one person. This is sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just sometimes if something pops in my brain, it comes right out of my mouth, whether I want it to or not. Were you done? <laughs> okay, good. I'm, I'm sorry. I did not mean to interrupt you. Um, but yeah, you just got me thinking. I that's one I can't speak a whole lot on in, in terms of you know I I uprooted and moved ten hours away from my family, so uh, <laughs> it'd be hard for me to tell you guys to go home and talk to three generations of people. But but you're right. It's Man, it is, I would rather door knock to a bunch of people I don't know in the worst part of Nashville that I was driving through yesterday than I would go home to Thanksgiving and tell everybody what I believe about all the things they think. (laughs) Yeah. And it's right. And it's hard there because, and we'll, we'll talk about this for a second because we did move a little quick earlier. So we'll we'll talk about this for a second. I mean, I heard a really good friend of mine say one time, "The Church of Christ kind of has a reputation, and at least half of it's earned." You know, that, that there's a half of that that people will say, well, you think you're the only ones going to heaven. You think this and this. It's like, no, we don't think that. Uh, but at a certain point, we've got to acknowledge that they talked to somebody who probably told them that. Like, for the most part, they probably just didn't pull this out of thin air, right? They probably had somebody come to their house and tell them with all the fire and brimstone in the world that everything they were doing was wrong. And if they didn't do the exact right thing, if, they're, if they weren't in the pew on this Sunday at 9 o'clock, by golly, they were going to hell, you know. And so there's a little bit of that that's earned. So you, sometimes when you're talking to somebody, you've almost got to deprogram. And I hear this used in a ministry context in the sense of you, you've got to have those conversations where like, okay, yes, this is what's my church called, but no, this is not what I believe. <laughs> yes, I, I think these things, but no, I don't necessarily think all those other things too. Um, <laughs> I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> Mm. Right, that salvation thing earlier when we were talking about how we got hope, I thought about that too. And even, I can remember when mm. I was a kid, that wasn't something that 
This is probably a longer conversation for another time, but my, some of my really close friends of mine who are around my age who are in ministry, um, there, there's two topics we come back to all the time, and one of them is, you know, how do we keep more kids in the church than kids stayed in the church when we were growing up? And the other one is, how do we talk to people differently than they're used to being talked to? Because we both feel like our parents or even we grew up in a generation where it was really heavy fire and brimstone, what you guys are talking about, and I think it's okay to say there was an era where that worked. And, you know, the church was doing great in the 40s and 60s in a lot of ways. Uh, but if we look at the last 20 to 40 years, when we talk about growth and evangelism, like, we failed. Just on the plain level, if we talk about the church in the United States of America, the numbers are declining rapidly, and there's, I mean, just it, by magnitudes of 10. And so when we talk about, are we acting in a way that paints the church in a good light? Are we walking in the light? Are we preaching and evangelizing in a way that is saving souls? there were generations where that there was a failure. And so how do we teach people in a way that will be successful? Um, and, and I think one of the things is just what Paul's been talking about here, that, you know, go back to the Word. And yes, uh, God smiting whole groups of people is in the Word, but so is what you said, where He forgives those who sin against Him, and He, he, he is forgiving, and He is forgiving to the... I think it says the seventh generation is what, and that's in the Old Testament. There's, yes, absolutely. I know we're getting really close to time, but I'll, I'll probably come back with some, some more thoughts on this because I, I like what we're talking about. Um, yes, boy. I mean, I want to tell you, I don't know if I'd go to that extent, but that's obviously what I did. So, I mean, <laughs> clearly we all agree. <laughs> but I, I know they're going to be running in here, but I, just, I really love the way you put that, that, you know, we do have to defend the gospel every moment of our lives around people like that. Um, I'm going to turn it over here, but I just, something I've learned since getting in ministry is I've taken a careful examination of, like, my actions, like, well, I don't want to do this, I don't want people to think differently. And a lot of stuff like that I've thought, I should have been thinking that way anyway. Like, I should have been aware of how people were going to interpret my actions.
You want, you want me to use your set or you want me to just use the mic? Okay. Good evening, everybody. It's great to see everybody out. Uh, the invitation song tonight is going to be 829. 829, if you want to go ahead and mark that. So for this evening, I just want to take a few minutes, and I want to speak about a topic that is, I think is very important to us, but we don't always consider, and that is the idea of letting go of the anger that we face each and every day. And the basis of this conversation is going to be out of Genesis chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Genesis chapter 4, specifically verses 6 through 9. Uh, just to build up a little bit to that, um, it's going to be the story of how Cain killed his brother Abel. And leading up to that, they had both given sacrifices. Uh, Abel's sacrifice was more pleasing to God than Cain's, and this upset Cain to the point where he ends up and murders his brother. Uh, but starting in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 4, it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The idea I want to get to kind of get across tonight is that we often do a lot of, we, all, we face trials, tribulations, even just people in general that on a daily basis will make us angry. It could be at school, it could be at work, it could be driving down the interstate, you get cut off over there by the McDonald's. <laughs> so it's been a lot better since they put the traffic light in. But um, oftentimes, it's not necessarily the fact that we get angry, it's what happens after. It's the fact that instead of letting go of that anger, we hold it, we bottle it up, we hold on to it, and we don't release it. And if you remember back in fifth grade when you had to build volcanoes, often a lot of us would use the two-liter sodas, cementos, and you put them together, and it explodes. And that's what happens sometimes. We build up, we hold on to that anger so much, we build up to it, 
and we just eventually we explode. We'll go off on somebody who literally had nothing to do with what made us angry, but they are the closest person, and we just pop off on them. Or we'll go do something else that we shouldn't have done that is a sin because of that anger, because we haven't released it, we haven't given it to God. If you'll turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 15, this idea of why we kind of explode, it comes, Matthew 15 kind of explains it. Matthew 15, we're going to look at three different verses. We're going to kind of jump around, though. But Matthew 15, starting in verse 11, it says, uh, It is not what goes in the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And then jump down to verse 18 and 19. It says, but, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeded evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, etc., etc. So it's our heart that, is, that holds on to that. It is our heart where all of those evil thoughts, those evil actions come from because we get angry. We get angry, we hold on to it. We, if you're like me, sometimes you'll replay it through your mind so many different times, and you just work yourself up to the point you're so angry that you don't know what to do with it, and you just release it on whoever's next to you. But what do you, but I guess one point to make is it's not necessarily the fact that you're angry that is wrong, because Ephesians 4.26 says, you know, be angry and do not sin. Let's actually go over there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So when you're angry, you don't need to hold on to it. You don't need to let the sun go down. And even though technically the sun is down now, the day is not over. You still have that opportunity to let go of that anger, anger, whether it's a possibly a one-on-one conversation with a, a friend, family member, to let that out, to talk it out so you're not bottling up, whether it's going home and finding a quiet place to let that anger out to God and pray to Him. It's, we all have our different ways of coping with anger. We all have that different ways of letting it out, but we need to make sure it's a healthy way. We need to make sure that it is a scriptural way. That way we're not caught up in our sin. That way we don't give way to temptation, and do something that we shouldn't do. So I ask you tonight, where, where do you stand? Are you, is there something in your life that is, you're holding on to, some grudge against person, somebody, something that has happened lately that has made you angry, and you just haven't let that go for one reason or another? And if that's the case, then let us help you. Like I said, whether it's a one-on-one conversation, whether it's going home and praying, or whether it's us praying for you, there's, you don't need to let the day in today with anger still in your heart. So if there's anything that we can do for you, why don't you come while we stand and sing? I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one, that silver line. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where 
will never grow old. And someday yonder, we will never more wander, but walk the streets that are purest gold. Don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven bound. I'm just a pilgrim in search of a city. I want a mansion, a robe and a crown. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder, we will never more wander, but walk the streets that our purest gold. Amen. Um, announcements. Um, I know we have the trunk or treat and the, or I'm sorry, not the trunk or treat. The trunk or treat went really well. Thank everybody for coming out who helped out with that. Um, we have the Park Devo November 12th. Uh, that will be at Dyers Creek Park, just north across the river at 11 o'clock. There is also the Bumpus Mills Ladies' Day that we'll be competing with a little bit. Uh, but, you know, go, go to that, learn, be edified, have lunch, and then cut out a lunch real quick and come over here. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's already on that side of the river, so you'll be close. Um, as far as events go, I know there's that. And then there's uh, the contingent of us that are leaving to M2Y tomorrow. So uh, hopefully we'll make good travels and safe travels out there. Um, Sunday morning, uh, this Sunday morning, Van will be teaching our Bible class resuming in Jude. He was adamant that he finishes that up before we do anything else. So um, we'll be making good progress to that, and we'll gladly welcome him back to our Sunday morning Bible class. And then Sunday morning worship, uh, I mentioned this Sunday, but uh, a dear good friend of mine, I've known him for a long time, uh, he is a youth minister at the Flower Mound Church of Christ at the church that I kind of grew up in in the Dallas area. Uh, he's going to M2Y, and he's come back early so that he can speak to us Sunday morning, and then I will be preaching Sunday night. So uh, that's what's going on this weekend. Um, any other announcements? And then the business meeting, Sunday evening. I'll actually be coming back from M2Y Monday, so... I'm just kidding. Yeah, business meeting, uh, men's business meeting Sunday. Um, I know we still got some stuff to talk about, like VBS and things coming up, like, over the next year. So uh, show up, have your voice heard. I think if you're not there, you can't complain later. I think that's the deal you guys told me. Boy, that was a joke that did not go over well at all. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> um, I know, do we have health updates? Um, I know uh, Charlie Compton is still waiting kind of, they're getting kind of pushed doctor to doctor. Um, they're waiting. I think the next time they told they were here, something you said was the ninth, right? And I, th I think that's what I had heard from them as well. Um, somebody had heard from Brenda. Was that Marty? Okay. I, I have not either. Uh, I've texted her and I haven't heard anything specific. Yeah. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Okay.
and then I know the updates from, I got the updates from um, the one in y'all's family, because we have two, if, if you're totally, have no idea what we're talking about, there's two babies, kind of the family of our congregation that have RSV, and, or had RSV and been hospitalized, and I know the other one, still up and down, right? Like they have to do surgery, and it's kind of still pretty rough. Oh, that is really good. Awesome. Mommy of her name? The baby's name? Kinley. And baby Kinley. She had to have that ECMO surgery, but they got that off the machine, so she's breathing on her own. So that's a big, big step for their family. Um, still good to see Miss Connie back. If you pat her and give her a hug, go from the left side, right? Well... Going once, going twice. Let's close in. Oh, yes. Yes. I know you guys were sick for a little while, too. Is everybody else doing better? <laughs> Hopefully. So you guys can actually take care of him now. Good. Excellent. Thank you. Good news is always welcome. <laughs> well, let's close in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity, as always, just to gather here with like-minded believers to build each other up, to, to bear each other's burdens, to pray for one another. And so we lift up just those names that have been mentioned here tonight, that you will be with them and the families, and that they will continue to get the support and the help that they need uh, from those in our in our body that can be there for them. Uh, because just as we were talking tonight, it's, it's through living out your word, through being uh, loving and caring Christians and just showing your love to people. We know that's how your gospel can really be heard. And so we ask that everything we do can be for the effectiveness of your body, the effectiveness of your kingdom, that we can be the light on the hill. We ask all these things, Christ your son. Amen.